You're listening to the sermon audio from Mill Creek Community Church. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com. Well, good morning. So my name is Matt Gonzalez, our pastoral assistant here, and it is so good to be with you this morning. Now, first hour, I did say to all of my friends who are KU fans, as an Arkansan, it's obligatory, woo pig. Uh, Just woo pig. That was an incredible game to watch. Y'all played hard. Uh, The Hogs just came out in the end. But this morning, different note, this morning we are uh, so glad to welcome uh, a new face to the pulpit. Um, His name is Will Baker. He's a former seminary fellow, not former, fellow seminary in Uh, student, goodness, my words, I'm speaking English, Um, fellow seminary student uh, this past, thank you, this past summer he was a, uh, goodness, he was a, uh, an intern with our summer team alongside us, he's been in some classes with me, they've been at the church for a bit, he's an incredible guy, has been working very hard on this sermon, Uh, but one of the things with that, one of my favorite pieces of Mill Creek uh, is that we are a church that is genuinely committed to raising up pastors and preachers, not only so that Mill Creek can be strengthened, but so that God's church, both in America and Kansas City and around the world, can be strengthened by the preaching of the Word of God. And so with that, uh, we hosted a pastor's conference several weeks ago. It was incredible. And we've also been training up guys like Will, guys like myself, uh, guys like Jonathan Drindle through this uh, program. It's been incredible. And so about a year ago, I got to stand here, or Jonathan Drindle was standing here welcoming me, and so now I am in this place welcoming uh, Will, which is uh, a fun change. So Will is going to be preaching this morning from Luke chapter 9, verses 51 through chapter 10, verse uh, 37. So that's on page 599 in the Chairback Bible, if you want to turn there with me. And hey, if you don't have a Bible, we would love for you to take that Bible as a gift from us to you, uh, as just something from us so that you can have a copy of God's word. Now, starting in uh, verse 25 of chapter 10, that's what we're going to be reading this morning. Uh, So you can look there with me at verse 25. This is the word of the Lord. It says, And behold, a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And so likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay when I come back. Now, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? 
And he said, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you so much for the gift of your son, Jesus. As we've studied through Luke, it has been incredible to see and to revisit uh, the incredible work of his life. Uh, God, we thank you for your word that is living and alive, that it is breathed out by you. Father, as it is preached this morning, we pray that our hearts would be challenged by it, that we would be encouraged, and that we would be called to live according to how Christ has called us. And Father, those who are far from you this morning, would you draw them near? Spirit, would you save? We pray that you'd be with Will as he presents your word, uh, and be with us as well. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, good morning, y'all. How's everybody doing this morning? Good? Good, good, good. Well, as Matt introduced me, I am Will Baker. I am not Jeremy Krause or Jonathan Jindal or Matt Gonzalez, um, but I am super excited to be here with you guys uh, this morning uh, as we continue on in our study and preaching through the, the Gospel of Luke. And uh, as Matt mentioned, I go to Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary with him, and I am married to my beautiful wife, Cassie, and uh, we have a puppy, his name is Moses, and he is such a joy. <laughs> uh, I say that kind of like, sometimes he's not a joy, <laughs> uh, but he's, he's awesome. Um, and over the, the course of uh, my dating relationship with Cassie and then my marriage thus far with Cassie, uh, I've learned some things about her. Uh, like I know how she's going to act in a situation or I know what's going to flow out of her heart in a situation. For, for example, uh, anytime we go out to eat, she will uh, undoubtedly look up the menu prior to going to where we're going and so she can decide exactly what she wants so that she's ready to eat some amazing food when we get there. Wasting no time, look at the menu, she's looking at it prior to getting there. And I know it's going to flow out of her heart. Excitement for a delicious meal that the Lord has so graciously given her. Similarly, our puppy Moses, uh, I get up in the mornings to let him out of his kennel. And he greets me with this yawn, yodel, scream thing at me. Uh, it's, it's rather hilarious, and I'm pretty sure he does it almost every time we go to let him out of his cage. But he greets me with this because he wants to get out of his cage and go to the bathroom, and I know what's going to flow out of him. <laughs> Impatience to get out of his cage and go to the bathroom. Um, and those are, those are good and funny. Um, but likewise, do, do we know what is going to flow most naturally out of the heart of Jesus and the Father? There's this great book um, if you haven't read it, I would recommend that you go and read it. Uh, it's, it's a really, really good, insightful book. It's called Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. Uh, in it, he seeks to unpack what the very heart of Christ is. And he says this in, in his introduction. Who is he? Who is he really? What is most natural to him? What ignites within him most immediately as he moves towards sinners and suffers? 
What flows most freely, most instinctively? Who is he? And I think this is a a great starting point for us this morning. And as we continue on in our text through the Gospel of Luke, I'm going to raise this question from our text this morning that can help guide us through a text that is uh, very vast and long. But I think this will be a, a helpful tool for us to attack it this morning. And that is, what has Jesus come to do? And there, there could be uh, many answers to this question. It's a very dynamic question. It's multifaceted. But our text this morning provides some clarity to a main emphasis of what that answer is. And the answer to that question speaks at the very heart of who Christ is and what it means for us to follow him. And so as we dive in, I hope this question can orient our gaze upon the beauty of who Christ is at his heart and who God is. So what has Jesus come to do? And so as we've reached our point in the Gospel of Luke, we're in uh, chapter 9, verse 51, the first nine and a half, ten-ish chapters have been solely, uh, Jesus has solely focused on his ministry in Galilee. So most of his time has been in Galilee. That's north of Jerusalem, around the Sea of Galilee, where he's been doing healings and teaching and preaching uh, the good news. And now in our our text, we see a shift taking place. His focus is being taken away from Galilee, and now it's moving towards what is going to take place in Jerusalem. And we, we all know what's going to happen to Jesus in Jerusalem. Even Theophilus reading this knows what is going to happen to Jesus in Jerusalem, where a, a crown of thorns awaits him, where a, a cross where he would hang on awaits him. And, and we see all this, but Jesus' focus is being turned from Galilee to Jerusalem. And we see exactly what he has come to do. He has come to extend mercy. Look with me in verse 51 of chapter 9. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go towards Jerusalem. For Jesus to set his face, right? it literally means for him to not look away. Like he is going to Jerusalem. Nothing is going to take him away from the task that the Father has sent him to do. He is determined to go towards Jerusalem. He is determined to extend mercy, for that is what he has came to do. Even in Mark's gospel, this is clear, for Mark points out, or Jesus says in Mark's gospel, that the reason he came was to give his life as a ransom for many. That's Mark 10, 45. And this is so that we may experience the mercy of God, and this speaks to the very heart of who God is and who Jesus is. He is merciful. Where we are determined to sin, Christ is determined to extend mercy. When we are determined, when you and I are determined to be angry, bitterful, prideful, arrogant, lustful, anxious, vengeful, or selfish, Christ is determined to be selfless and offer mercy. And we see this playing out as we walk, continue to walk through our text. Read with me in uh, verse 52 to 54. And he sent 
messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. And his disciples, James and John, saw it. They said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? So Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He sends some disciples ahead of him into a Samaritan village. And they reject him because he's going towards Jerusalem. Now, there's a lot that we could unpack here between uh, the conflict between Jews and Samaritans. So uh, I'm just going to condense that. I'm going to spare you the history lesson this morning. And basically, the Jews uh, did not like the Gentiles because they viewed them as uh, Gentile half-breeds. And the Samaritans viewed the the Jews as uh, prideful for worshiping only in Jerusalem, and they thought they were right. So there's this immense conflict between Jews and Samaritans. And so the, Jews re- the Samaritans reject Jesus, Jesus' disciples, as they go into the Samaritan village. And James and John are like, yo, let's, let's call down fire on them. Yeah, that'll show them. Sure, yeah. But Jesus' response, I think, is rather intriguing. For look, look what he says with me. In verse 55, it says, but he turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. Jesus rebukes them. Why does he rebuke them? Because that's not why he has come. He has not come in judgment now. Now let's get one thing straight. He will come bringing judgment one day. And he will execute his justice on sin and on all those who reject him. That is clear in scripture. That is clear even in our text this morning. But right now, Jesus has come in mercy. And if you have not received this mercy or tasted this mercy, I I implore with you to come and sit under this waterfall of mercy that Christ is offering to you. Repent and believe that Jesus has paid it all and he will give you a new heart with new desires, placing his Holy Spirit within you. God is so incredibly patient towards us and we should not take advantage of his patience in offering us mercy. For that is what he is going to Jerusalem to do. And for those of us who have tasted and experienced this mercy, take heart. Because God does not stop pouring this mercy out on you. He pours it out perpetually. Even in the midst of your shortcomings and failures, he will not withhold this mercy from you if you are truly his, because you belong to Jesus. And this is what Jesus has come to do. And there's this quote from uh, the Puritan Thomas Goodwin who lived in the 17th century on reflecting on the merciful heart of God. For he says this, God has a multitude of all kinds of mercies. As our hearts and the devil are a father of a variety of sins, so God is the father of a variety of mercies. There is no sin or misery, but God has a mercy for it. He has a multitude of mercies of every kind. And as we begin to have a proper view of God's mercy through the enlightening of the Holy Spirit within us and recognize that we do not deserve it, but instead we deserve wrath as sinners in the presence of a holy God, our hearts will begin to be so stirred up affectionately for love of Christ 
in what he has done. To see and experience the merciful heart of God should spur us on to live transformed, spirit-led lives and extend mercy to the world around us. For example, in the, in the book of Acts, uh, if any of you are familiar with uh, the story of Stephen, he was doing many signs and wonders in Jerusalem, and there were some from some Jewish synagogues that didn't like what he was doing, what he was saying about Jesus. So they took him, and they placed him before the council in Jerusalem. And they put him on trial. And Stephen, being filled with the Holy Spirit, gets up and delivers this amazing and convicting sermon about how the Jewish leaders are arrogant and stubborn, just like their ancestors. And instead of being moved towards mercy in that moment that Jesus has brought them, they instead move in anger towards Stephen. And so they take him out, inside the city gate, they tie him to the tree, and they decide, we're going to stone him. And I don't know if any of you have uh, considered what it means to be stoned before, but literally you have stones thrown at you until you die. It doesn't sound like a pretty way to die. It sounds very painful and agonizing. But imagine, Stephen is tied to this tree. He can't move. And he's having stones hurled at him from a crowd of people with jagged edges, nailing his face, hitting him in the ribs, in the gut until he dies. And what is incredible is Stephen's response while this is taking place. And right before he dies, he says this, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Stephen was a man who had tasted the mercy of God and was so controlled by his love for God that he lived a life of mercy, wanting others to know and experience that, even those who were killing him right then and there, whatever the cost. And this brings us to our second point. If Jesus has come to extend mercy, if he is on this mission of mercy, then mercy should be our mission too for those of us who follow Jesus. Let us look back in our text. Keep your thumb in chapter 9. We'll be back. But head down to chapter 10, verse 1 with me. So after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. So Jesus sends out 72 disciples to go before him into the towns where he was going. Now Luke is the only gospel writer to mention the story of the sending out of the 72. And so many theologians have noted that Luke is recalling Genesis 10 and 11. So stay with me here. Jesus is sending out 72 disciples. So we have point 72, he sends out 72 disciples as he's going towards Jerusalem. So back in Genesis 10, it's right after the flood, and we get a list of descendants that come from Noah. And from these descendants, the world would be repopulated, and nations would come about out of these descendants. And can anyone guess how many descendants there were? 72, correct. 72 descendants from Noah that would become nations. And then in Genesis 11, we see them coming together at the Tower of Babel in their sin and rebellion against God. And what does God do? God scatters 
the nations in their sin and rebellion so that they would not stay there. And then the rest of the Bible, you get to Genesis 12 and then the rest on, is God calling Abraham and electing a nation so that from him, all the other nations would be blessed. And we get back to our text and we see Jesus now as he's going towards Jerusalem. He sends out 72. Where the 72 nations were scattered in their sin and rebellion, God is now regathering the nations to himself in the mercy that Christ is going to Jerusalem to achieve. And more practically for us, the reason Jesus went to Jerusalem was not just for each of us to obtain mercy, but that those who would receive mercy would go and that we would be like the disciples and go and proclaim mercy so the world might experience the mercy of their creator. Look in verse 2 of chapter 10. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Jump to verse 5. Whatever house you enter, say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you and remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. We see the harvest is plentiful and in need of harvest, harvesters. That's why Jesus is sending them out. His mission is to the world. And the means by which he is to reach them is through his disciples. Like you and me. He sends out us. He sends us out carrying the greatest news that has ever come into the world so that the nations, so that those who, be, who would believe may come back to the merciful heart of the Father. However, it's not going to be all sunshine and rainbows as we go out and as the disciples go out proclaiming this mercy. The call to follow Jesus on this mission of mercy will be difficult. Let us go back now to chapter 9, verse 57 through 62. And we see three instances of people who want to follow Jesus, and they're met with the harsh reality of what it means to follow Jesus. So one says, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus responds. He said to him, foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. In this first encounter, we see it will be uncomfortable. Jesus has nowhere to lay his head. And we should not be surprised when the same happens to those who are following in his footsteps as we go proclaiming mercy. To a second, he said, follow me. And the guy responded, Lord, let me first go bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. The second encounter tells us it is urgent. Mercy has come and there is no time to sit on the sidelines for those of us who follow Jesus. Again, another, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those in my house. 
And Jesus said to them, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Finally, in this last encounter, we see it is serious. No one who sets their hand to the mission of mercy can look back. If you want to be a disciple of Jesus, you will go in his footsteps. It should not be a surprise to us when we do not feel at home in this world. Whether it be rejection or pain or suffering or trials or, or just the obvious contradictory worldviews that we live in these days, this world is not our home. For those of us in Christ, our citizenship is in heaven. And if that is the case, then we should have a heavenly mindset that seeks to proclaim life to a world that is perishing because that is the heart of Christ and mercy has come to them. Look in 10, chapter 10, verse 3. It says, go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. So Jesus is sending these 72 out knowingly that there are wolves around. He knows that he sends out lambs when there are wolves who are seeking to devour, kill, and destroy them. Jesus knows that it's going to be hard. Jesus knows that we're going to face trials. He knows that it's going to be difficult. He knows there's going to be rejection. He knows all these things. And he knows exactly what lies before the disciples. But Jesus also knows that mercy wins. Look in verse 10. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into the streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. And then he goes on speaking woes against the cities that rejected him. Woe to you, Chorizon, woe to you, Bethsaida, and you, Capernaum. Will you be exalted above the heavens? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you, hears me. And the one who rejects you, rejects me. And the one who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. Mercy has come because it is at the heart of God. And the disciples, they can take hold of this truth because God is just. Mercy wins because God is going to make right every wrong. Although they may be rejected, beat, imprisoned, or killed, God is in control, and he will have the final say. And they can have hope in the fact as they go proclaiming his mercy. Therefore, we go proclaiming the peace and mercy Jesus has brought us as sinners. And we can take heart that he is coming back to judge the wicked one day. It will be hard and it will be difficult as we go, but we know that God is in control and ultimately he commands us to go and proclaim mercy and he will take care of the rest. So take heart in this truth that our God is just and he is mercifully just. And although this may be hard, the result will be joy. We see the 72. They return with immense joy. They say in verse 17, the 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. The 72 returned with great joy because of the power of Jesus they encountered out on mission. 
where sufferings and trials, where expected joy was the result. They say even, even the demons obeyed us. The power of sin and Satan retreat at the name of Jesus. So it is no wonder that they had joy, but Jesus wants to make sure that their joy is placed in the right spot. He wants to make sure their joy is not due to the results of the mission, but due to, due to the one who sent them out on the mission. For he says in verse 20, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Yes, we will experience joy like no other when following the Lord and being led by his spirit. But we need to make sure our joy is found in the mercy of what Jesus has done. What should astonish us is the heart of God to send his son to die on our behalf so that we and all those who believe may experience the merciful heart of God. Can any of you recall the first time you really, truly experienced this joy like no other? I can recall being in, in high school when I experienced this joy. I was working out at this gym, and the owner of the gym uh, would lead Bible studies, and I started attending these Bible studies. And week after week, he would begin to show me who Jesus really is. And for the first time in my life, I was actually being discipled. And I was being led to look into the heart of Christ. And there was one night where I was driving around with one of my good friends, and the weight of the mercy that Jesus had brought me just sank on me, and it broke me to my core. And I knew that I could never be the same. That mercy had come to a wicked sinner like me. And I had so much joy in my heart. And I knew that I had to go and tell others about this joy in what the mercy of Christ has brought me. And so let us look back in our text. We see even Jesus now he's rejoicing over his disciples through the Spirit to the Father concerning the merciful heart of God to reveal these things to them. For it says, in that same hour, Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me to, to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then turning to the disciples, he privately said, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. It is because of mercy that the disciples had these things revealed to them. No one deserves these things to be revealed to them. But it is the gracious will of the Father to reveal his mercy. And it is the graciousness of Christ to perfectly reveal to us his mercy. And it is the gracious work of the Holy Spirit to open our eyes to this mercy that the prophets and kings so long to see. 
And the same Holy Spirit that revealed it to these disciples is working now in this room today, opening hearts and opening our eyes to this mercy that Jesus has brought us. So let us humble ourselves before God and receive this mercy. And then we go out living a life that is marked by mercy, all in the power of the Spirit. And if we do not know the heart of God, then you will never be able to properly reflect him. For this is how it works. First, we must properly gaze into the beauty, magnificent heart of Christ and see him for who he is truly. And then out of that, out of looking upon Christ and seeing his beauty and who he is, then we can live a life that is marked by mercy, all by and through the power of his spirit that he gives us. And we see these two truths, God's mercy and how we are to respond to his mercy as being messengers of mercy in our last section of scripture in the parable of the Good Samaritan. So as Matt so graciously read for us in the parable of the Good Samaritan, we see a lawyer that wants to know how to get eternal life. And Jesus says, you know, what does the law say? In typical Jesus fashion. And the guy quotes Deuteronomy 6 and Leviticus 16, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, okay, now go and do it. And so the guy's like, well, I don't know if I can. So the text says, seeking to justify himself, he asked, who's my neighbor? And Jesus goes, ah, good question. Let me tell you. So there's this man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he's taken and he's beat and he's robbed and he's left for dead. And then we see two figures, a priest and a Levite, who you would think would know the heart of God, being that they're always in the temple, doing the service of God, reading the scriptures, that kind of thing. But yet they look at him and they walk to the other side and pass him by and leave him to die. And then we see uh, an unlikely character, a Samaritan, come and pour oil and wine on this man's wounds. And we see him bandage him up, put him on his donkey and take him to an inn and tell the innkeeper, hey, take care of him and whatever other, whatever other cost he incurs, I'll take care of it. And so Jesus, after telling the story, he looks back to the lawyer and says, who was his neighbor? And the lawyer responds, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus says, now you go and do likewise. And the, and the whole point of this parable, and I think it's clear, is that this lawyer, me, you, we have all failed to love our neighbor as we should. We have all failed, therefore, to love God as we properly should. For if we actually did love God, then we would love our neighbor right. And we disprove our love for God by not loving our neighbor properly. But the hope is 
that Christ has loved his neighbor. He has shown life-giving mercy to his neighbor. Jesus has fulfilled these commands by going to the cross and taking our place as a sacrifice to God so that you and I and all those who believe would not have to experience God in his wrath as a byproduct of our sin, but experience him in his mercy that overflows out of his heart. Teaching us and convicting us of what it means to show mercy by looking to Christ. If you are not giving mercy this morning, if you are withholding mercy from your spouse or your kids, if you're not showing mercy to your co-workers, if you think lightly of the mercy of God and what Christ has come to do, then you need to repent and believe and look to Jesus. And I'm, I'm riding this with you. I fail constantly to live a life that is marked by mercy and love my neighbor as I properly should. But we can take hope in the mercy of God when we lack mercy. When we fail, he will not fail us. And he will stir up our hearts and our affections to look to him and then live mercifully, all in the power of his spirit. And because of this mercy of God and the mercy Christ has displayed on the cross, this is what the Lord has for us this morning. One, we've already discussed it, repent and believe these news, this news. Turn to the merciful heart of Christ. Second, ask that the Spirit may embolden us to be people that are marked by mercy. If we have truly experienced this mercy of God, then we should be the ones most eager to extend mercy that offers to others and reflect the heart of Christ to everyone. Like if we knowingly understand our right position before God, that we are sinners and sufferers, yet he has moved in mercy toward us through the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, then why would we not give that freely to others? For this is what we are called to do. Lastly, go and proclaim the mercy Christ has brought us sinners to a world in desperate need of it. We have the greatest news ever. Why would we keep this to ourselves? I mean, I, I struggle with this myself. It's hard. It can be weird. <laughs> it can feel awkward to go and share this news with people. And I can't tell you the countless times that I've punt, punted on this. But it's not about me and it's not about you. It's only about Christ and what he has done. And so let us hang on to this and let us come alongside one another and encourage one another as we go and as we proclaim and we live lives that are marked by mercy and we offer that mercy to a world that is in desperate need of it. So as we, as we wrap up our time this morning, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave you with one final quote from our good friend, Thomas Goodwin. For he says this, If your heart be hard, his mercies are tender. If your heart be dead, 
he has mercy, mercy to live in it. If you be sick, he has mercy to heal you. If you be sinful, he has mercy to sanctify you and cleanse you. As large and various are our wants, so large and various are his mercies. Guys, look to the merciful heart of God. Look to the mercy that Jesus has brought you and brought me. And let us be forever changed by it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for Christ. Lord, thank you for coming and moving towards us, sinners and sufferers, so that we may experience your mercy. Lord, let us live lives that are marked by mercy. Spirit, help us, embolden us. Let us see you for who you are. God, we love you. Father, we praise you, and we ask this all in the name of King Jesus. Amen. So as the, as the band uh, plays this uh, last song, uh, I want to invite some of the staff and elders to come up, and they're just going to be up, up here in the front and on the sides, uh, something we've done the past couple weeks. Uh, just during this time of reflection and response, if you need someone to pray for you, or uh, you just need to come and confess sin, or, or, or whatever the Lord's moving you to do, um, we invite you to do that during this, this time. So, so if the elders and staff want to come forward, that'd be great. Let's stand together. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com.